Well, howdy y'all. Welcome back to Once Upon a Time. This is episode number 50. That's right, 5-0. Cannot believe I've been doing this two more times. We'll make one full year of your favorite Texan doing this podcast. Um, it all happened kind of on a whim. I knew I wanted to do a podcast for a while. Um, I didn't know what to do it on because I was like, ah, podcasts need to be professional and, you know, or funny or really have a purpose. And I just wanted to do a podcast that was just, you know, me, I guess. And everybody's like, well, you know, I don't know, Mike, you're funny, but a podcast, it's just you like, what's going to be the point? And really, I didn't know. And so a few years ago, I get into this whole mortgage thing and I'm like, I'll do a podcast on mortgages. And then I listened to some podcasts on mortgages and guys, they suck. (laughs) I'm in the business and I'm like, I just want to go beat my face against a wall. So then uh, a friend suggested, you know, they said, hey, there's a bunch of mortgage, mortgage guys, I think either in St. Louis or Kansas City, something like that, somewhere in the middle of the country. And they're mortgage guys and they talked about sports or not sports specifically, but I guess kind of what was going on in the city. They were kind of, you know, the go-to guys for what's going on in the city. And they would just talk about, you know, news and events and things like that. But then they would drop in that they were mortgage people. And I thought, well, that's kind of fun. Now, crap, you know, what do I need to do a subject on? And, you know, somebody brought up that I like Texas history. And so here we are, once upon a time in Texas, almost a year later. So I'm going to riff just for a minute, just on some things that are going on. Um, Not bragging, but, uh, and this is not a New Year's resolution. This has been a, since I've been about 25 resolution, (laughs) I guess. Um, I'm down 20 pounds. Um... Over the last, I don't know, 10 or 12 weeks, been working really hard to try to lose some weight. I was getting a wee bit on the chunky side. Still have my beard, so uh, I'm still going to classify myself as a chunky, handsome, bearded guy. Um, Some people may disagree, but, you know, whatever. Um, But yeah, 20 pounds. That's not a New Year's resolution. It's just, man, I was tired of being that chunky. Uh, Second thing, for those of y'all that live here in North Texas... uh, Holy crap, the wind uh, yesterday and Monday night, geez, I I live in an old two-story house and uh, it's 111 years old this year. There, we weren't sure what it was. There was something that was hitting our windows on the west side of the house. Not like, I mean, it it sounded like somebody was out there throwing rocks at our windows, what it sounded like. And I thought, dang it, it's chunks of the neighbor's roof, you know, roof shingles blowing off again. Because he's always got crap coming off his roof. And I'm not going to sit here and complain, but I've tried to buy the house, you know, from him. He's got it converted into four apartments. They don't take great care of it. Um, You know, it's his business, whatever. But, you know, the shingles have damaged our vehicles and stuff over the years. And we have to eat that. And Anyway, so I'm thinking, dang it, there's going to be all kinds of shingles and crap laying in our driveway. 
And so I, I came out in the morning and no, it's pecans off of his tree. And I mean, his tree, it's a big one. It's an old, old pecan tree, but it's probably 30 or 40 feet from our house. And it's not, if it's as tall as our house, it's, it's maybe a little taller than our house. But the wind was blowing so hard, it was carrying the pecans that were still on the tree straight sideways. And I, it just like running them into our windows. Um, it was crazy. So, yeah, um, if you're not from Texas, welcome to Texas. Sometimes we get some big blows that come through and uh, it gets a little windy. So, yeah, yesterday and Monday night, we had a wee bit of a breeze going on. I do want to give a couple of shout outs. Um, our uh, Scout Troop 2 is chartered by American Legion Post 169. We went to their monthly meeting on Wednesday night. They they fed us some dinner, so they had chicken fried steaks. Good stuff. And man, I just... <clears throat> I'm going to give a shout out to those guys because it, even though I am not a veteran, um, my father is, and I've got a bunch of, you know, ancestors and family that are... Um, these guys just, uh, guys and gals, take us in just like we're one of their own, you know. I'm, I'm in the Sons of the American Legion, and they just, they are so nice. You know, every time we go out there, it just, it feels like we're home. You know what I mean? And so, what a great bunch of people to be around. Uh, my kids enjoy going out there. They've invited me to go on their, their rucks. There's a group of them that get together and go rucking. And uh, they make fun of me for going and walking on a treadmill. And I'm like, whatever, I'm fat. I got to do something. <laughs> and so uh, now I guess I'm going to go rucking with them. Um, possibly Sunday. I don't know. But uh, one I want to give a shout out to is, uh, is the chaplain for the American Legion and also our new chartered organization rep for the troop, Mr. Michael Kurtz. Uh, he's always calling me with good ideas um, things to help the troop just really has a heart for people and kids. And, um, just Michael, I just wanted to say on here, you're an amazing dude. Glad to know you. Glad to call you a friend. So keep doing what you're doing, man. You're making a difference. Keep it up and we'll keep, you know, every time we talk, we'll just keep figuring out all the problems in the world. Another one I'm going to give a shout out to is, a an old cat named Michael Badalino. He's one of our newest, um, city councilmen here in town. He's also a fellow Rotarian. He's in the uh, same Rotary Club as me. Um, but Michael just got into city council, and uh, apparently he's drinking uh, a little bit from a fire hose. But, uh, Michael, I'm sure you're going to do a spectacular job. Um, keep your head up, man. If I can help you, I will. But uh, he's also involved with the American Legion and does the rucking stuff. And he, just overall a cool dude. And every time I see him, he always comes up. And, and I won't even see him first. He'll just come up behind me or something. He'll be like, the stars at night are big and bright. And so uh, he always laughs. So loyal listener, Michael, glad you're doing what you're doing. Uh, another one I'm going to give a shout out to is a, a buddy of mine named Carl. Carl's been a scout leader for a long time with our troop. And uh, Carl, I hope you don't mind me sharing a little bit, but... Uh, Due to some medical issues and some other stuff, Carl has recently lost his uh, his vision, at least the, the the gross majority of it. And uh, you would think, 
somebody that's uh carl's a little older than i am uh and i'll be 45 in may but uh you would think somebody that lost their vision would probably be kind of down and out about it and i'm i'm sure carl has maybe been down and out a little bit about losing his vision but uh man he is just the most happy-go-lucky guy and uh i just it seems like it would be tough to find something that would get him kind of down and out. So we decided as leaders, you know, by God, we were going to drag him out by the hair on his head if we needed to um, and go camping with us. And I mean, without even missing a beat, he agreed and he said, guys, I may not be as much help as I used to be, but you know what? I can, I can sit around and keep the campfire lit and I can sure tell a lot of stories, <laughs> which which is absolutely true. Um, he's full of stories. And he's probably going to be on the podcast here for too long. So there you go. Just a few minutes of riffing on what's going on. Carl, appreciate you. Look forward to having you on the podcast in the not-too-distant future. So I've been on a kick about lawmen and bandits and judges recently. And it occurred to me that I think I've only briefly touched on Judge Roy Bean. Um of West Texas fame. And it kind of hit me when I was telling a story last week. And so I figured I'd share, you know, the story with y'all briefly again. Um, you know, the story that I told about myself and judge Roy Bean. Um, he's not alive now, obviously he's a historical figure died early in 1900, but, uh, the, the story kind of leads me to that. So, Anyway, I got to doing a little more research on him, and he's definitely a West Texas character, and he goes along with the theme lately of being both an outlaw and a lawman. So before we head down old Rio Grande way, I'd like to thank our sponsors, me and Victory Home Loans. I know there are tons of people moving to and in Texas and Oklahoma, and I know a lot of y'all do too, so let me help them out. Um, we, Victory Home Loans, help people win by getting them into their dream homes, not just in Texas and Oklahoma, but in 13 other states as well. Um, why not work with somebody who's at least entertaining and works hard to make the process faster, cheaper, and easier? You know, somebody like me. And if I'm not licensed in your state, because I'm only licensed in Texas and Oklahoma, I'll get you hooked up with somebody that's licensed in the state that you're moving to um, or wanting to purchase in. Like I said, uh, Victory Home Loans covers 13 other states. And if you're moving to a state that we don't cover, that's fine. I've got friends in most of the other states, and I can help point you in the right direction. So again, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, or if you're just moving and you want to see if I cover y'all, um, or Victory Home Loans cover you, check me out. TheMichaelMitchell.com, T-H-E-MichaelMitchell.com. Let me help you guys out. That's what I do. I've kind of got the servant leader's heart. I love helping people, even if I'm not getting paid off your loan. That's fine. I just like helping the American dream come true. Because, of course, remember, when you work with me in Victory Home Loans, we sell dreams, not mortgages. Everybody go, aw, that's so nice. <laughs> All right, in episode 47, I talked about getting shot at while standing in the Rio Grande in my scout uniform. Um, somebody shot at me from the Mexico side. Obviously, they thought I was Border Patrol. Um, at least I'm assuming. And it was a scary thing. I mean, you know, getting shot at 
uh, is something that I don't really want to repeat again, uh, ever. But what came out of that day was me thinking that I needed to go somewhere else a little safer, <laughs> obviously. So I moseyed on over to Langtree, Texas to the Judge Roy Bean Museum. It's a cool place. I had a great time there, and I did a little photography, which I was just getting into. This really would have been like 2004, so this was like 20 years ago. So I did a little photography, and one of the photos that everybody oohs and awes over is actually a windmill um, that's there at the Judge Roy Bean Museum, and I, I took a picture of it. You can see it at howlingcoyotephotography.com. Uh, I used to do a lot of photography, want to get into it again. <clears throat> so if you want to go check out the stuff that I do, howlingcoyotephotography.com. Um, but I learned a little more about West Texas that day. And although there are tons of resources that you can find on the infamous Judge Roy Bean, I found most of uh, the interesting stuff summed up nicely on Wikipedia. So that's uh, I'm going to give them props. So let's take a look at old Judge Roy Bean. And I'm saying Bean, B-E-A-N, like a coffee bean. He was an American saloon keeper and justice of the peace in Valverde County, Texas. And he called himself the only law west of the Pecos. Pecos or Pecos, either way. According to legend, he held court in his saloon along the Rio Grande on a desolate stretch of the Chihuahua Desert of Southwest Texas. After his death, um, fictional Western films and books cast him as a hanging judge, although he is only known to have sentenced two men to hang, one of whom escaped. So he wasn't like Judge Isaac Parker, the hanging judge. Um, yeah, he wasn't that guy, although he's been fictionalized as such. Roy Bean was born sometime around 1825 in Kentucky. He was the youngest of five children of a good old boy named Fantley Roy Bean Sr. And that's Fantley, P-H-A-N-T-L-Y, kind of a weird name. And a lady named Anna Henderson Gore. Uh, the family was very, very poor. So at age 16... Fantley Roy Bean Jr., who I will call Roy or Judge for pretty much the rest of the podcast, <clears throat> leaves home and rides a flatboat down to New Orleans. He's hoping to find work. Of course, he goes down there, ripe old age 16, he gets into a little trouble, and so he packs up and heads to San Antonio, Texas, to join his older brother, Sam. His brother, Sam, had made his way to Independence, Missouri, which... If you know the history of moving to the West, uh, Missouri was a huge jumping off spot, you know, for people heading West. And he was a teamster and a bullwhacker. So basically a, a freight driver, more or less. Um, he hauled fate, uh, fre fate, freight to Santa Fe and then on to uh, Chihuahua, Mexico. So the Santa Fe Trail. So after Sam fights in the Mexican-American War, he apparently gets out of the military and moves on over to San Antonio, where we find Roy joining him now. In 1848, the two brothers open a trading post in the Mexican state of Chihuahua, and not long after opening, Roy shoots and kills a Mexican desperado 
who had threatened to kill a gringo, as the legend goes. To escape being charged with murder by Mexican authorities, Roy and Sam flee westward to the state of Sonora, Mexico. And by the spring of 1849, Roy had moved on to San Diego, California to live with another older brother, Joshua, who would be elected the first mayor of San Diego the following year. So there's a little bit of cool history for the uh, California folks that listen to my little podcast. So considered handsome, Roy competed for the attentions of various local women. And, and by competed, apparently it seemed like he didn't have to compete very hard. And uh, a Scotsman by the name of John Collins challenges Roy Bean to a pistol shooting match on horseback. Why not add a little flavor to it, right? Roy is left to choose the targets. So he gets to choose what they're shooting at. Roy decides what the heck we're going to go all hog or, you know, whole hog. And he decides, you know what, rather than shooting at targets, let's just get it over with and shoot at each other. <laughs> Sounds like a reasonable guy, right? So he's already killed a guy and then he flees and then flees again out to California. And now because of his philandering and stuff, he's in a horseback duel with a guy where he had the choice to shoot at other targets, but he's like, nah, screw it. Let's just shoot at each other. So <laughs> this just cracks me up. So he's a bit of an outlaw. The duel is fought on February 24th, 1852 and ends with Collins taking a bullet to his right arm. It doesn't say whether Roy Bean is hurt at all, but I'm assuming not since it's not in the history book. So both men are arrested and charged with assault with intent to murder. Sounds reasonable. In the two months that he was in jail, Roy Bean receives gifts of flowers, food, wine, and cigars from women all over San Diego and the surrounding areas. And then finally, hidden in some gifts he receives while incarcerated are some knives that were encased in tamales. Roy uses the knives to dig through the cell wall and escapes on April 17, 1852. And he flees to San Gabriel, California, where he becomes a bartender for his brother Joshua's, uh, let me see, Joshua, yeah, his brother Joshua's headquarters saloon is what they called it, the headquarters saloon. So after Joshua is murdered in November of 1852, Roy inherits the saloon, apparently runs it for a couple of years in 1854. He courted a young woman who is subsequently kidnapped and forced to marry a Mexican officer. I mean, seriously, where is Zorro when you need him, right? So Roy challenged the groom to a duel and kills him. Seems like Roy's pretty handy with the pistol. Six of the dead men's friends put Bean on a horse, tie a noose around his neck, leaving him to hang when the horse decides to move, which they do often. Um, when the horse finally moves and he hangs, the rope stretches and Bean is able to stay alive. The bride 
who had been hiding behind a tree, runs up, cuts the rope, and frees him, thus saving his life. So he went to the gallows, or I guess a tree, he's hung, and this experience leaves Roy Bean with a permanent rope burn and a stiff neck for the rest of his life. No kidding. So shortly thereafter, and and probably good thinking on his part, rather than go after the six dudes that hung him, he chooses to leave California and head to New Mexico, which is neither new nor Mexico, but I'm just saying. But that's a whole other story. (laughs) That's one of my favorite jokes. New Mexico, neither new nor Mexico. Anyway, so he moves back in with his brother Sam, who has now been elected the first sheriff of Doña Ana County, which is a Las Cruces area. In 1861, Sam and Roy start operating a store and saloon on Main Street in Pinos Altos, just north of Silver City in present-day Grant County, New Mexico. It advertised liquor and a fine billiard table and then a cannon that belonged to Roy Bean, which doesn't say how he got a cannon. I assume cannons would be in short supply, but however it ended up there, Roy Bean has it in his possession. And it's sat in front of the store for show, and it says that it had been used to repel an Apache assault on the town. Seems like a good tourist attraction, right? I mean, why not? I'm drawn to cannons. Love cannons. So now I'm sure you're thinking, okay, Mike, when the heck does this dude end up in Texas? Well, as most of my stories go, I'm getting there. Sometimes I like to go the direct route, and sometimes I like to take the long way around. And in this case, it took Roy a while to get there. And he's got some interesting history, so hang on. But, here, you know, here's some of it. Ready? During the Civil War, the Confederate Army had invaded New Mexico. And during the Battle of Glorieta Pass, which is just uh, southeast of Santa Fe, in March of 1862, the Confederates lose their supply wagons and they're forced to retreat to San Antonio. So, after taking money from his brother's safe, Roy joins the retreating army And for the remainder of the war, he ran the naval blockade, which is what they called it during the Civil War, by hauling cotton from San Antonio to British ships off the coast at Matamoros and then returning with needed supplies. For the next 20 years, Roy Bean lives in San Antonio and works mostly as a teamster hauling freight. During this time, he attempted to run a firewood business, by cutting down his neighbor's timber. (laughs) And then he tried to run a dairy, but was caught watering down the milk. And then he later worked as a butcher. But, of course, good old Roy, he's rustling unbranded cattle from other area ranchers for his own butcher business. Sounds like a cool dude. So... October 1866, he marries 18-year-old Virginia Chavez. Mind you, he's 41 years old at this point. And he marries an 18-year-old, but whatever. Power to him. Uh, Within a year after being married, he's arrested for aggravated assault and threatening his wife's life. Uh, 
However, despite the tumultuous marriage, they end up having four children together. Roy Jr., which technically Roy Bean was already a junior, so I guess this is like Roy Bean Jr. Jr. Uh, Laura uh, Zalema and Sam. Um, they lived in what was described as a poverty-stricken Mexican slum that everybody called Beanville. So he already has this little section of San Antonio named after him. So by the late 1870s, he's operating a saloon in Beanville and had heard that many construction camps were opening as several railroad companies were working to extend the railroads west into Texas and further on out to California. <clears throat> a, lake, a local store owner in Beanville was so anxious to have this unscrupulous character out of the neighborhood, you know, end quote, that she bought all of Roy Bean's possessions for $900 so that he could leave San Antonio. You ever had neighbors like that? You're like, Jesus, I'll just buy the house. I'll buy everything in it. Y'all just move. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of there right now. Um, at the time, Bean and his wife were separated. So he left his children with friends as he prepared to go west. And there's really no other mention about his wife. Ever. Like, I didn't find anything. Um, I maybe need to do a little digging, but I didn't find anything else on her. So now you must be thinking again, but Mike, you called him Judge Roy Bean, and he sounds kind of like a very unscrupulous character. How did he become a judge? And do you even know what you're talking about? Well, yeah, I know what I'm talking about sometimes. And this is one of those times. He is an unsavory type character. But he was, in fact, a judge. And I'm going to get there. So just hang on. <laughs> so with the money he had recently acquired, the $900, Roy purchases a tent, some supplies to sell, and 10 55-gallon barrels of whiskey, which is a must in the Old West. And he probably watered those down to make 110 gallons out of that 55 gallons, but... I didn't read anywhere on that. I'm just speculating because just seems like that's the kind of guy he was. 10 55-gallon barrels of whiskey. <sighs> that's a lot of whiskey. Anyway, so by the spring of 1882, so he was born in 25, so that puts him, uh, gosh, that puts him almost 60. That's like uh, 57. He had established a small saloon near the Pecos River in a tent city named Vinegaroon. Sounds like a classy place, right? So within 20 miles of the tent city were 8,000 railroad workers. The nearest court and courthouse is over 120 miles away in the town of Fort Stockton, where I used to serve for the Boy Scouts. That was my very first district, Permian Basin District. There were few people and means to stop really any kind of illegal activity in this area. So, a Texas Ranger requested that a local law jurisdiction be set up in Vinegaroon, you know, to handle, you know, illegal stuff. And on August 2nd, 1882, Roy Bean is officially appointed Justice of the Peace for the new Precinct 6 in Pecos County and becomes 
Judge Roy Bean. His first case, however, was heard earlier on July 25th, 1882. Uh, You know, because why not? I guess. Why not get started early? I mean, he probably really had no authority until August 2nd, but I mean, who cares, right? It's Wild West Texas, and they need something done. One of his first acts as Justice of the Peace was to shoot up the saloon shack of a Jewish competitor saloon owner. (laughs) Cannot make this stuff up. Sounds reasonable, right? So now Judge Roy Bean turns his tent saloon into a, are you ready for this? Part-time courtroom. (laughs) Again, not making this up. He probably charged the county rent for this tent to have a courtroom in it. And he begins to call himself the only law west of the Pecos. As a judge, Roy Bean relied on a single law book, which was the 1879 edition of the revised statutes of Texas. And when newer law books came out and showed up at his courtroom, he used them as kindling in his fire. I mean, why waste time with too many rules, right? I've already got this book down. No sense in needing a new one. Judge Bean did not allow for hung juries or appeals because, again, why waste time? Uh, Jurors were chosen from his best bar customers, and they were expected to buy a drink during every court recess, which I'm sure were often. Uh, I mean, seriously, it sounds like court would be way more fun that way. I might be interested in, you know, serving jury duty if we could have drinks uh, during recesses. (laughs) He was also known for his unusual rulings, because again, why not? In one case, an Irishman, and I'm not even kidding, cannot make this name up. This, y'all, this really was his name. The Irishman, Paddy O'Rourke, shot a Chinese laborer. During the trial, a mob of 200 angry Irishmen surrounded the courtroom and saloon, threatened to lynch Judge Roy Bean if O'Rourke was not freed. After Judge Roy Bean comes out on his porch, looks through his law book, Bean rules that homicide is officially the killing of a human being. However, he could find no law against killing a Chinaman and subsequently dismissed the case against Patty O'Rourke. <laughs> I mean, seriously, so much for human rights and diversity in the Old West, right? Like, whatever. Oh, man. So, again, by December 1882... Railroad construction had moved farther west, and Judge Roy Bean decides to move his courtroom and saloon 70 miles to the town of Strawbridge, which is now called Sanderson, which was again in my first Boy Scout district. So I've been to Sanderson many times. He finally sends for his children, and they live with him in the saloon with his youngest son, Sam, sleeping on the pool table. Sounds like a pretty idyllic childhood, for sure. 
thank heavens CPS wasn't around then, I guess. So a competitor who was already established in the area laces Judge Roy Bean's whiskey with kerosene and uh, unable to attract customers, Judge Roy Bean decides to leave the area and he moves to a town called Eagle's Nest, which is 20 miles west of the Pecos River. And it's soon renamed under his direction to Langtree, Texas. And it was renamed, it was named after a, uh, I think it was an opera singer, Lily Langtree or something like that. Anyway, I've got something on that here in a minute. So the original owner of the land who ran a saloon there had sold a section, 640 acres, to the railroad on the condition that no part of the land could be sold or leased to Judge Roy Bean. So O'Rourke, the Irishman, whose case Bean had previously dismissed, tells Bean to use the railroad right-of-way, which was not covered by the contract, and for the next 20 years, Judge Roy Bean squats on land that he had no legal right to use. He names his new saloon the Jersey, the Jersey Lily in honor of Lily Langtry, who recounted in her autobiography that she had visited the area after Bean's death, even though he requested that she come down there quite a bit. He was quite infatuated with her. She did, however, send to Judge Roy Bean a pair of Colt 45 pistols, because, I mean, he had named a whole town after her. I'm sure she was grossly unimpressed with Langtree um, at the time. But anyway, Langtree did not have a jail, although it is reported that outside of the Jersey Lily, the saloon, was a large oak tree with heavy log chains that served as a jail for those unable to pay their fines. And all cases by Judge Roy Bean were settled with fines. Um, Bean refused to send the state any part of the fines, kept all the money. (laughs) Talk about keeping it local. Um, In most cases, the fines were made for the exact amount the accused person had on them (laughs) at the time. Interesting. Kind of funny how that falls that way. So Judge Roy Bean is noted for some unusual verdicts. And here are a few of these. And I just, I kind of crack up on some of these. Upon finding the corpse of a Southern Pacific Railroad workman who had been killed after he fell from a high bridge over the Pecos River, the man had been carrying a pistol in his pocket and $40 when he died. The judge rendered a verdict of accidental death and then, and this cracks me up, imposes a posthumous $40 fine to the dead man. A $20 fine for the man having carried a concealed weapon and then a $10 fine was collected as a coroner burial fee and $10 in court costs. Make sure and keep that money local. So number two, when a train passenger tossed a $20 gold piece for a beer on the bar, 
Judge Roy Bean refused to give any change. When the stranger protested, Judge Roy Bean fined him $19.95 for contempt of court and threatened to double the fine if the stranger said another word. (laughs) The stranger left on the next train. Love this guy. Although only district courts were legally allowed to grant divorces, Judge Roy Bean did so anyway and pocketed $10 for each divorce. He charged $5 for weddings and ended all wedding ceremonies with the phrase, and may God have mercy on your souls. (laughs) A traditional saying, obviously, uh, when a death sentence is carried out. And after Bean performed the marriage of two Mexican couples, they later came before Bean and asked to be divorced and remarried to the other person's spouses. Bean agreed to the demand, charging each $10 for the marriages and $40 for the divorces. Money talks. So a Mexican man received permission for one day off from his boss to marry his future wife, but there was not enough time for a license. Bean marries him anyway and proclaimed that the marriage license would arrive by the next day's mail after charging them his usual $5 marriage fee. A rival saloon owner named Tar uh, I can't even say it, Treno, was brought before Judge Roy Bean on an assault charge. A jury of six men found the accused guilty and fined him two dozen bottles of beer. Then Judge Roy Bean stopped his rival from buying beer at his own saloon and instead made him pay the fine at the Jersey Lily, where Judge Roy Bean was the owner. I love this guy. Got a couple more here. A railroad contractor named Howard who had some law training, was brought into court and read from the latest revised law statutes. Judge Roy Bean remitted the fine, but rendered the verdict that no law books were to be brought into his court from now on. (laughs) Don't confuse me with the facts. And when a young ranchman was fined $5 for fighting, he produced witnesses that he had not been fighting, but had held the other person off. Judge Roy Bean remitted the fine, but then fined the other man $10 and had skipped town. The ranchman was committed until the fine was paid and the ranchman paid the fine for the other guy who had left town. <laughs> so he got his money anyway. So Judge Roy Bean wins re-election to his post in 1884, but he's defeated in 1886. The following year, the commissioner's court created a new precinct in the county and appointed Judge Roy Bean as the new justice of the peace. No kidding. So he's defeated. So probably at his urging, they just create another precinct. So he continues to be reelected until 1896. Even after the election defeat, he refused to surrender his seal and law book and continued to try all cases north of the railroad tracks. <laughs> Oh, man. Like I did say earlier, um, he is only known to have sentenced two men to hang, one of who escaped. I guess they hung the other one. I didn't really talk about it. So in 1890, Bean received word that the railroad developer and speculator Jay Gould 
was planning to pass through Langtree on a special train. Bean flags down the train by using a danger signal. Thinking the bridge was out, the train engineer stopped the train. Judge Rubin then invites Gould and his daughter to visit the Jersey Lily Saloon as his guests. The Goulds visited for two hours, which caused a brief panic on the New York Stock Exchange <laughs> when it was reported that Gould did not make his next stop and must have been killed in a train crash. <laughs> oh, man. In 1896, Judge Roy Bean organizes a world championship boxing title bout between Bob Fitzsimmons and Peter Mayer. He gets around some of the rules by putting it on an island in the Rio Grande because boxing matches at the time were illegal in both Texas and Mexico. So like I said, he puts it on an island in the Rio Grande, built a bridge out there and everything so people could go watch. Like, there's whole stories about that. The fight, which was won by Fitzsimmons, lasted only 1 minute and 35 seconds. But the resulting sport reports spread Judge Roy Bean's fame throughout the entire United States. This is when he really gets big. As he gets a little older, Judge Roy Bean spends much of his profits helping the poor. I don't know. Maybe he's kind of repenting for the butthole he was in his earlier years. So he's helping the poor of the area and always made sure that the local schoolhouse had free firewood in the winter, which was no doubt provided by somebody else that Bean told them to take there. In January 1901, Judge Roy Bean stated that a claim for damages of $13,000 from Apache depredations of his mules would certainly be allowed. So... It doesn't say anything else, but yeah, apparently he's claiming damages, but basically saying that his mules were stolen by Apaches. <clears throat> I'm assuming maybe he got paid for it. So Bean ends up moving at some point between 1901 and 1903. He moves back to San Antonio and dies peacefully in his bed on March 16th, 1903, after a bout of heavy drinking in San Antonio. It doesn't say that he was sick or anything, so the assumption is maybe he just aspirated because he was drunk. Uh, he and his son, Sam, are both interred at the Whitehead... Good night, I can't talk. The Whitehead Memorial Museum in Del Rio, Texas. And in 1965, as part of the Civil War Centennial Commemoration in Texas an official Texas historical marker honoring Judge Roy Bean was erected on the museum grounds. So there you have it. I knew I run, I ran a little bit long on that one, but you just can't make this stuff up. Like, this is an interesting dude. Um, so what do y'all think? Let me know what other kind of weird and off-the-wall interesting Texas history would you like to hear about? I want to thank our sponsors again, me and Victory Home Loans. Keep in mind, if you know anyone moving to or in Texas or Oklahoma, send them my way to themichaelmitchell.com. And remember, we sell dreams, not mortgages. I love making people laugh and smile. Hope you guys laughed and smiled a little bit. Probably shook your heads and go, 
Where does Mike come up with this stuff? Eh, it just comes to me. Check out my other Facebook groups and pages. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Texas Facebook page and group. Um, of course, I do have a business page, the Michael Mitchell um, dash Victory Home Loans. Go check it out like that. I post some interesting mortgage stuff on there every now and then. Your Bucket List is another one I do. Y-O-U-R Bucket List. Um, I'm going to start doing something with that soon. I hope. I keep telling y'all that I'm going to and I need to. It's just going to take some time to wrap my head around it. But I want to get through a full year of podcasts. The other one, NWTC Alumni. That stands for Northwest Texas Council. Um, If you live in Wichita Falls or surrounding area and you are ever involved with the Boy Scouts, don't have to be an Eagle Scout, just ever involved in scouting as a youth or a volunteer, hop on, join the alumni group. We're just talking about, you know, starting some stuff here, maybe doing some stuff out of camp, you know, just some camping and probably telling a bunch of big fat lies around a campfire, but, you know, all in good fun. So NWTC alumni. And then uh, a shout out to my friend Kim Jackson, who started a, a group called Our Old House Restoration, Wichita Falls. If you love old houses and you like to work on them, get on her Facebook group. Kim's Good Peoples. Thank you all for tuning in to Once Upon a Time in Texas. As always, remember the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.